You're listening to Dancing Around Elephants, a podcast that talks to dancers about the elephant in the room, dance injuries. I'm Dr. Danelle Dixon, a dancer turned physical therapist, and I currently work with dancers to work past their challenges and access the next level in their dance careers. I'm sitting down to talk with dancers about their journey, their injuries, and how they are successfully navigated past the elephant in the room. But I'm going a bit further. I want to talk about all the elephants in the dance room and shed some light on the things that affect many dancers that we seldom talk about. My goal is to change the way that we approach injuries and issues in the dance community, and it all starts with a conversation. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. D, Dr. Danelle Dixon, and this is Dancing Around Elephants. We are in season three, and we are continuing to talk about the elephant in the room, which is dance injuries, but all of the elephants in the rooms. And today, I have the pleasure of talking with John Sovak, who is a therapist and coach, because we are going to be talking more about the mental health aspect of dance performance and how it has affected us specifically with COVID. So I'm super, super excited um, to talk with him. So welcome, 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 John. How are you? I am doing fantastic, and I'm just so honored to be here with you today and be with your listeners today to, to talk about this thing that, you know, is such a big part of my life as a dancer, but also like that mental health of dancers is just such an important part of the journey that we take. Yeah, awesome. So I'm going to give you guys a snippet of John's extensive bio because this man is amazing, just so you know. Make sure you check him out. So John Savak is a therapist coach in private practice in Pasadena, California, who works with clients in career transitions, goal setting, and motivation. In terms of his bio from the performance side, from Japan to New York to the high seas, John Savak has performed all over the world, including national touring companies and the Wizard of Oz, Music Man, film and television in terms of General Hospital, Puma Sportswear, and over 15 years performing with the Disney Company. Um, shows like Golden Horseshoe, Jamboree, Main Street Carolers. He has infectious energy. I can attest to this. And also has both <laughs> his work ethic made him to go the go-to performer for myriad industries, including Redkin, Ford, General Motors, and Macy's. He's always willing to try something new. John's special skills list grew up to include single trapeze, one-handed clapping, amazing, fire eating. And John was also the go-to dance captain for many of the projects he worked on. So, so, so excited. So welcome again, John. Let's dive right into it. Tell us about yourself a little bit outside of bio, <laughs> of course, and how you came into dancing. Well, it's so fascinating to hear like your bio come back at you because it's like, oh yeah, I did do that. All oh, right. I did <laughs> learn that, you know, and I think it's just, you're right. It is just a small part of who I am and the journey I've had. Like most male dancers, I came to dance probably in my teens. I had done some stuff where I'd been in like, you know, school theater projects and stuff like that, but I didn't actually start really studying and taking class until I was in my teens. And what I did for myself is I actually did most of my really basic core training in ballet here at Stanley Holden's in Los Angeles. And it's so fascinating because over the years, I am not a ballet dancer. That's not what I chose to do. I moved into musical theater. And that foundation, though, of having that ballet training really, really kept me strong throughout my career. You know, when I was in high school, I started doing a couple of more professional jobs. And then I had this moment 
when I was graduating high school, I was going to college. I said, okay, I need to get serious now. I can't make a, a living or a life as a performer. I'm going to, I'm going to go to UCSD and study marine biology. Whoa. Okay. And <laughs> it, was, it was something I had always been interested in. And I went down there and within the first six months, I got an offer to do an industrial job and I took it because it was really good money. And I realized in the middle of doing that job that I was giving so much energy and attention into that work more so than I was my schoolwork that I needed to listen to that and follow my path into the performing arts. Best phone call ever, called my parents up, all like shamed and like sad and like, I, I have to tell you something, I'm thinking of, I wanna pursue my performing career. And they're like, we're waiting for you to decide that. <laughs> Wow, that yeah. is so great. Yeah, they were just like, no, we realized you want to try and do this serious thing, but we did not expect it to last. Yeah. And uh, so from then, from there, you know, I actually got a full ride to a performing arts academy in San Diego, got my degree and actually did not even attend my own graduation because I got a job on a cruise ship. Hey. So right. I was on the high seas while the rest of my cohort was walking across the stage. Wow. Well, listen, that's the best graduating presence you can think of if you ask me. <laughs> well, and, you know, just to put this out there in the world, too, I think for a lot of performers, doing a job like that, a cruise ship job at, at a young age can actually be really powerful. You have to learn a lot of self-sufficiency when you're out on the high seas. You have to be able to cover someone else's track at a moment's notice because they got injured or aren't feeling well. And you also have the opportunity to really put aside a lot of money because there's no place to spend your cash on the ship. Oh, wow. So I came off of a six month contract with a nice bank already set up. And that allowed me to be a little bit more choosy about the jobs I took going forward. Mm. You know, so then I moved out into the musical theater world, as you know, we mentioned, traveled with a lot of tours also do the theme park thing. It's fun, but it's also a whole nother mindset of discipline, you know, doing five shows a day and it's a lot. And I really had a great, great, great experience with all that performing. At the same time, I was also doing volunteer work in the HIV and AIDS community mm -hmm. and offering a lot of energy into emotional support. And that kind of opened up this little part of me that realized like this conversation, this mental health healing was really important to me. And so I reached a point in my career was I was like, I've reached a lot of my goals. Am I going to reset or am I going to look at doing something different? And at that moment, I got an offer from Disney to actually move into entertainment management. And it was this really cool transition of going from just being a performer to being on the other side mm -hmm. and bringing that knowledge as a performer into like how to create like the best experience for the performers who are doing the shows that I was in charge of. Mm -hmm. And then after that for four years, like, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. I said, mental health, wellness therapy is really cool. It's helped me. I think it's interesting. Went back to grad school, went through all my tests and challenges and internships. And here I am <laughs> on the other side, full-time doing therapy and loving every second of it. Wow, that's an um, that's really an amazing and remarkable story. And you've had some really unique experiences because most dancers don't have the luxury of being financially secure as they go through their career. And this is something that I feel super passionate about in terms of injury prevention, because it's one of the things that pull us back 
They're little things that are always drawing dancers and performers back from really having an amazing career. And finances is one of them, you know, mm-hmm. and not being not being financially secure changes your options and also changes your choices. So mm-hmm. it's really interesting to hear that side of your story. It's awesome. Tell us more, John, about your breakthrough moments as a dancer. You know, my ba- breakthrough moment as a dancer is actually really, really subtle. But I think all the dancers who are listening will really understand this moment that changed my entire ability as how I moved my body. So yeah, I mentioned that I had really studied ballet. That was my foundation piece. And I would take class and I would do the technique of it and repetitive and do it over and over and over again and you know, get out there and do work. I also found yoga at a really young age too. And I do credit yoga with helping me to have such a long sustained career because where, where dance asks us to do really obscure things with our body, mm-hmm. yoga invites us to step back into our bodies. And it was in yoga class that I really started to connect to breath and breath and movement. Mm-hmm. And the first time I had a dance moment where I like opened my arms into a port de bra and brought the breath with it, like my entire approach to how I moved changed. Mm-hmm. And I know this is just a very small, subtle thing, but it really, really altered how I related to my body, how I moved through space and bringing that breath work into my dance really altered my, my energy as a performer. Awesome. That's, that's pretty cool. Most people, this, y'all, if y'all are listening and I know you're listening, this is already an amazing interview because he, you know, John has taken us through some really unconventional things that we really don't talk about in the world of dance, which is why he's on this podcast. Okay, John, changing directions a little bit. Tell me about <laughs> your first encounter with an injury that stopped you from dancing for more than a week. Ooh, okay. Mm-hmm. So true confessions time. And let's mm-hmm. actually put this out there because I don't think I'm unusual in the dance world. Mm-hmm. During my career, I did have multiple injuries that would come along, mm-hmm. but oftentimes I would perform through and with those injuries. Okay. And so when you put that caveat that took you out of work for more than a week, it's an interesting piece of the puzzle. I mean, I remember performing in a chorus line and doing the opening number with an ice pack tap taped to the back of my knee because I had a small micro tear back there. But because of the way the show I was in was set up, there was no one to cover me. I took on that. I'm the only one I can do it energy and performed anyways. Mm -hmm. And I think many of us in the dance world do perform through injuries, even when it's not in our best interest. It wasn't until later on where I had a big enough injury. I actually had to have some reconstruction done on my right foot. Mm -hmm. And that took me completely out for about four months. Yeah. It was supposed to be a year, but I had a great team that worked with me and I got back on stage four months later. Okay. Um, but that was the moment that really, that was the biggest injury that pulled me out of being able to perform for an extended period of time. Okay. And that was the knee injury or was the ankle injury? That was the, the foot. So I had the foot, like it was basically, I call it my bionic foot. You know, they had to go in and scrape out pre-arthritis and straighten up some stuff and, you know, make the bones align better. And I call it my bionic foot when I came back after it. Awesome. Awesome. So let's go back a little bit, John. So let's talk about this concept of dancing through injuries, because I do think it's important to talk about the whole premise of this, of this podcast really centers around the fact that dancers commonly do dance 
around or through injuries. And knowing that they have options is, I think, really a golden key for dancers to understand that they don't have to do it. So now looking back, you know, you've come so far, looking back, what would have made you choose a different route to dance through those injuries? I think the biggest thing that was playing through my mind, and I hear this from a lot of dancers, is the idea that we are so beholden to every job that we get that our inside, our mental story is that if we show any weakness, we will not get hired again. And it's this thing that plays out in our brains. I mean, it's rough when you go to an audition and you see, you know, a hundred people dancing and auditioning as well or better than you for the same role. Your brain says, I can never show any weakness. And I think the thing that's important to understand is that injury is not weakness. Injury is your body giving you information. It's Mm -hmm. telling you, hey, there's something that's going on that's not quite right. Maybe your structure is not right. Maybe you're not taking the best care of yourself right now. Nutrition, sleep. Maybe there's something going on mentally for you that has moved your focus away. Mm -hmm. That to understand that injury is actually information. Mm -hmm. It's not weakness. It's our body telling us something needs to shift or change in your world right now. And the thing that's really amazing is, you know, I said I danced through injury, but on days off, I had an amazing physical therapist that I worked with who was very Pilates based. So it wasn't just the injury, you know, I mean, physical therapists like saved my career. Let's just be honest about it. Without access to PT, I, you know, I danced for over 30 years and between yoga and having a really talented team of PT acupuncturists and chiropractic, like, boom, this body would not have made it, you know? You know how you go to some of those, like, let's call them PT farms and they give you the worksheet and tell you to go do your stuff. Yep. Mm -hmm. This was someone because of the Pilates piece was really looking at full body connection into this. And so that's one of the reasons why I was able to, you know, dance through injury, having a really good massage therapist, having a chiropractor. Mm -hmm. But if I look back, like we're saying, I think if I had taken that week, two weeks off and understood inside myself, it didn't say that I was less than as a performer, less than as a dancer, and that I would still be hired and I would go forward, that that would have been the piece of the puzzle that would have opened up that doorway for me to once again, not see injury as weakness, but to see it as information. Yeah, no, that's an an awesome answer. And what other things because we can't discount the mindset that it comes that comes with the dance world. But a lot of that mindset is really reinforced by certain structures that dancers have to navigate. It's really reinforced by conversations that are held at the audition level, at the company level, at the high level performance level, and also access to resources. So what is the one thing you think in terms of those structures outside of mindset that would have also tilted the scales in your favor? to really take a different approach to dancing through injury. Mm -hmm. When you say that, the first thing that comes to mind is the ability to say no Mm -hmm. and be okay with it. Mm -hmm. There was a really beautiful moment I had. It was actually at an audition for Disney Mm -hmm. and Disney auditions are notoriously long. They do a 12 hour day and then another 12 hour day and a third 12 hour day. And they're, they're just known for this. And if you really look at it, it is a tiny bit abusive to the performers. And at the same time, they're very specific about what they're looking for. 
but it was at an audition. It was day two towards the end of the day. And there was a really, really like high level, really respected working all the time dancer who was at this audition. And they said, okay, we're going to call everyone back in. We need to do one more round of this. And he spoke up and said, well, unfortunately I do need to leave. I have another commitment and you've seen all of what you need, but I do need to go. And they're like, well, if you walk out of this room, we're not going to be able to hire you. And he said, thank you very much for your time. And I need to leave. Wow. That piece of empowerment yeah. was so like earth shaking for me to realize and understand that we as performers actually have some power in the equation as well. That we are taught from the moment we're in studio where the teacher is basically, you know, put up on a pedestal and what they say is, is gospel to, you know, producers having all of the power in the hiring equation to artistic directors of companies, you know, having all these machinations of how to keep people in line. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm here to tell you all, you can say no to that. And that saying no will allow you to actually take a little bit more control of your career. Mm -hmm. It's not everybody else who gets to be in charge. Ultimately, you are the person who is going to be on that stage, moving, making that moment happen. And the teams, the production company, the artistic directors, they need you just as much as you need them. Yes. And I think there's so much imbalance in the industry that we really need to turn it on its head and empower dancers to be able to speak up for their own needs. This is starting to happen on Broadway a little bit. The article I read was actually more about vocal fatigue than it was about dancer injury. Mm-hmm. And in it, there were actually a lot of like the really high players, vocalists on Broadway, you know, people in starring roles, talking about how for years they would be destroying their voices because they were doing eight shows a week. Mm. And then if you showed any like, well, I need a day of vocal rest, you would get that really awful feedback and that look of disgust towards you. But these people step forward because they want to change that conversation. Because just like dancing on a body injury, if you're dancing, if you're singing on a, on a, on a vocal injury, you're destroying your voice for the future. Yeah. And, and so it's about changing the conversation and saying it is okay for us to talk about injury and making it, we're actually taking better care of ourselves, which will give us a longer and more prolific career. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. I knew you would be perfect for this podcast. I knew it. I knew that you were, <laughs> this is awesome. We, we think exactly alike. So let's go back to this, this injury that you had, and this was your ankle injury where you had to have surgery. Mm-hmm. Who was the person that you sought advice from and what advice were you given? So for me, the mm-hmm. biggest person that I sought advice from was myself. Mm-hmm. I know this sounds a little like metaphysical, but I want to put this out there. I met first with a, a GP because I was going through insurance and they really didn't understand my injury. And they referred me to an orthopedic specialist. And when I got there, because I had dancer flexibility and can move, they were like, well, I think you'll be fine. Mm. And I I was like, okay, you're not understanding what my dancer body needs. And so I actually reached out to one of my old dance partners and she gave me the name of an orthopedic that she had worked with who really worked with dancers. Mm -hmm. And that's where I started finding that healing industry that I needed. Um, Someone who understood a dancer's body. body. Yes, I can take my leg and put it up to my ear, but that does not mean that I'm healthy right now. 
Yes. And so working with him and really following my intuition, because once I met with him for that first appointment, I was like, this is my doctor. <laughs> You're going to make this happen. Yeah. Okay. And so I think ourselves, because if you walk into someone who's going to be caring for your body, which is basically your livelihood, and you don't trust them, you don't feel connected to them, you don't feel that they're seeing you, mm -hmm. there's no way you're going to have an effective healing experience. So right. check in with your gut, check with your instinct. If it's not the right person, find that right person. You know, I've mentioned my PT person mm -hmm. and the reason why they're so brilliant once again is because they have this Pilates based training background. And so they understood how I needed to move my body, how I needed to heal my body and not just pay attention to the foot, but how it connects up to the knee, the hip, what it had done to my shoulder. Cause I was out of alignment trying to compensate for it all this time. And that, that whole body person that when I met with her for the first time, I was like, yes, you are my physical therapist. <laughs> Those are the pieces that really matter. So that's when I say the best person in that, in that equation is yourself. Yeah. I really mean, trust your gut and find the best healers for you. Yeah, no, that's awesome advice. In terms of all of the people that were on your rehab team. So we had your physical therapist, your orthopedic doctor, your, um, chiropractor, I think you said acupuncturist, acupuncturist. <laughs> <laughs> who did you feel was the best person to help you and why in that scenario? Take two people. Once again, my physical therapist, she mm -hmm. is just so brilliant, brilliant, brilliant at what she does. Mm -hmm. And she takes the time and I still work with her nowadays just to help. If I had some stuff going with my spine a while ago, we did a whole red cord series. If you haven't done red cord people, try it. It's really okay. amazing. And it will strengthen your core to like nobody's business and help align your body. And then my acupuncturist. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I bring her into the healing equation, I also still work with her is because my acupuncturist is a former musician. Mm -hmm. And so she really, really was able to relate to that creative artistic energy. Yeah. And she's also an incredibly, incredibly skilled acupuncturist, but also a person who just brings you down. Mm, anchors you, oh. you know, you're like, ah, oh, this thing is happening. I'm healing as fast as I can. And she'd be like, okay, well, let's address that today and do the needlework and then talk a little bit. And you leave there like, ah, I'm healing so well. I'm so excited to see what the next steps are. So <laughs> those are the two people that were really like the vital, vital parts of my ongoing care. That's awesome. I'm so glad that you had a positive experience. What did you learn about injuries in relation to that event? And how did that guide your career afterwards? I would say that that particular, like really, really like parking you on the, on the sidewalk injury mm -hmm. helped me reevaluate what I wanted to do coming back in. Mm -hmm. I had spent a career playing teenagers, basically. Mm -hmm. I mean, into my thirties, I was still playing teenagers on that music man tour you mentioned. I mm -hmm. think I was 33 or 34 when I was on that tour playing a teenager. Wow. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> so that got a little exhausting as I got older. And when I came out of this injury, I realized I wanted to be more particular and I wanted to get into the meteor stuff of like me, the age I was, the experience I had and bring that into my work coming forward. And so it really gave me time to sit there and reevaluate who I was as a performer and what I wanted as a performer. Mm -hmm. And I don't think injury has to be the only place we do that. 
I would encourage that any dancer at any moment in your career, like sit down occasionally, like chart out your own course. Imagine what you want your career to look like and how you want it to be. Because if we don't check in with ourselves, we're not going to really have the career we're hoping for. You know, I, yes, I studied ballet when I was younger, but I knew I wanted to go into the theater side and then, you know, understanding that there was this place for me, you know, as this kind of dancer with this good energy to move into the industrial world and to sit down and evaluate like what that meant and how it set me up for stuff. So I think we need to constantly sit down and reevaluate and that it's not just injury that can take us there but it's us maybe pausing when you're at the end of a contract. Mm -hmm. And before you move into the next one, it says like, what do I envision next? What do I see next for myself? Where do I want to go? Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. Tell me about one of the best moments you had surrounding an injury in your dance career. I want to talk <laughs> a little bit. There must be, there must be positive things. And I, I think it's an acupuncture story, but just wanted to put that question out there. Well, no, there's actually some fun stuff that happened. So during my, you know, debilitating injury, so many people that I love in my life showed up on a regular daily basis to take care of me and be part of my healing process. A great thing was, is because I was doing some really aggressive, like rehab on it, my doctor was like, okay, we need at least three days for the, for the incisions to settle a little bit. But then I okay, get the crutches out. I'm going to try and take a walk. Now, all of my neighbors in my neighborhood knew like I was going in for this. And I got out there in the crutches and my husband's with me. And I'm like, just barely able to move. And he's there like in case I got unsteady. And my neighbors came out. They're like, yeah, John, you can do this. And I made it about halfway up the block. I was like, okay, I need to go home now. <laughs> I went back. But it was realizing just how much love was in my world. Mm-hmm. And that was such a, a big part of my healing as well. Having people come out when I was sitting on the porch with my leg elevated and just like hang out and talk with me, you know, bring me little personalized presents. Sometimes when I was doing, you know, my rehab stuff is like kicking my ass a little bit so that I worked a little bit harder. The love that surrounded me is, was such an amazing gift uh, that I picked up through this injury. So that is such a beautiful story. And Unfortunately for so many dancers, they have exactly the opposite experience, right? So they get injured and then there's this period of fear and isolation. There's nobody cheering you on and saying, hey, get better, Danelle. There is, oh, well, you're not worth anything because you can't perform, you know? And we really, you know, this is not a question. This is just a comment, but I think we really need to start changing how we express gratitude, how we express care for each other in the dance world that extends beyond our ability to do a triple pirouette, you know, because at the end of the day, we are humans. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that's, that's such an important piece of the puzzle too. We are set up to believe that everything is a competition, Mm. you know, that every time we're in the audition room, I'm competing against you. Yeah. Well, here's the deal. I'm not going to be the right person for a certain job that you're the right person for. And we need to really sit with those realities and understand it. I was really lucky as a performer, I got a chance to be on the other side of the table and be part of casting on a couple of different occasions. And what I learned from that experience is 
oftentimes you could have the best, best dancer in the room, but they didn't fit a preset made of costumes. Their hair color was different than what they wanted the line to look like. Somebody reminded somebody of an ex and they just, you know, couldn't deal with that. There are so many pieces of the puzzle that come into play. And so if we can take away the idea that every single other person in the room is somehow an enemy or a competitor, and instead believe that we're with our tribe, we're with the people who love doing what we all do. If we can create those types of connections, that will help deal with some of this isolation that plays out. And once again, a lot of that is put into place by, you know, the people at our studios, it's put in place by producers, it's put in place by artistic directors, this claw your way to the top energy. Well, I'd rather get to the top with you and I walking hand to hand and getting up there and having a great and beautiful time together to be able to go and see a show with someone else performing and not be like, I should have gotten the job but more like you did such an amazing, beautiful job tonight. And that's the way that we can potentially battle the isolation ourselves by taking charge of the story. Oh man, that is, that is so, so powerful, John. And I wish I could put exactly that on a bullhorn because that is the key. You know, we are taught all of this competition. It's a competition. Even if you're friends, it's still a competition because who's going to get it first. And, you know, like, so when you start creating that, 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 that anxiety, when you start creating that scarcity mindset, that there are no opportunities for you, then, you know, everything now becomes that much more important. But John, the reality is, is that there, that scarcity mindset is true. You know, mm-hmm. as you, as you talked about the, the Disney auditions, yeah, like thousands mm-hmm. of people, you know, that are looking to get that one spot. So how in a competitive world do we now have a world that's all inclusive and embracing and, and, and really nurturing of everyone being opportunity, having the opportunity when they're really just looking for one person, how do mm-hmm. we achieve that? For me, I think it is about spending the time to really like sit with yourself, to be present. You know, that question that they always ask, you know, I think it's in chorus line, well, if you couldn't dance, what else would you do? Mm-hmm. And everyone says, well, the only reason to dance is if there's nothing else you can do. And if that's true, then we need to really grab on to that artistic, creative child inside of us. The one that when we were kids, like used to dance around and just like, you know, create costumes out of like an old t-shirt. We need to find that kid and say, yes, now this is our job. This is our career, but there's also room for you to come along too. That let's make dance a, a place where we can not just work, but also play together. If you've traveled with a show or you're part of a company, you know, that experience of like you bust yourself on stage and you're all like sweating and supporting each other. And then what happens afterwards? You all collapse together on the floor and laugh and sweat and, you know, go out and dance at a club all night. It is about really finding those places of family inside ourselves. And that's where that little kid can come out and feel loved and supported and play. Yeah, just amazing, just amazing. Okay, guys, tell me this conversation was not amazing. John and I talk about so many different things that is so relevant right now as we are witnessing the 2021 Olympics in Japan. So be sure to stay tuned for part two so that you can find out more tools from John 
on how to navigate the very difficult conversation of setting the boundaries and empowering yourself and advocating for yourself in the dance space, specifically when you're injured from a mental, emotional, or physical standpoint. Stay tuned. Thank you for listening to Dancing Around Elephants. I would love if you can share this podcast and leave a review. People that leave reviews on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other platforms that take just 60 to 90 seconds to show some love and give context to others about why this conversation is important means the world. Thank you in advance. I appreciate you. Do you want resources to start becoming the best dancer that you can be? Click on the link and access Dr. D's Dance Toolbox. So many amazing tools, including my signature program, Dance Bridge Online, to get you bulletproof from dance injuries. Also, if you know of a dancer that you'd like me to interview for this podcast, shoot me a message at info at 3ptdc.com and share your thoughts. Catch you next time.